a lot of the uh, ato work which which say advanced technology operations so the sciences uh, technology maturation before the product is actually announced all that work a lot of that is done in india then the wide body aircraft development the engines for the wide body aircraft are predominantly done through bangalore are owned through bangalore so i i talked about g90 we have a very strong g90 team we are building a very strong gnx team which is again uh, the engine that powers the dreamliner uh, air india owns that um, and then we have we are developing g9x which is the successor to g90 so all these wide body engines we have we sort of own the hardware of that engines hi wherever you're listening to us i hope you're doing well welcome to the daily tech conversation where we bring you insights from tech entrepreneurs cxos and investors i'm hari arakali and today i bring you another episode of the big picture conversations with leaders at some of the world's biggest tech companies in this episode alok nanda cto of ge south asia and ceo of ge's india technology center talks about the next decade of growth of the aviation and aerospace industry a lot of which will happen in india over more than the last two decades ge aerospace's indian team has made significant contributions to every important engine platform the company has developed nanda says he also gives his perspective on where the industry is headed in sustainable aviation ranging from development of planet friendly fuels to using ai to more accurately estimate when engines need repairs so look thank you so much for making time for this really appreciate it sir and definitely looking forward to this conversation and i think also uh, aerospace is definitely uh, back in work for people who I mean outside the field who've kind of not tracked uh, all the developments in aviation and aerospace even for ordinary folk i think uh, everything from you know the tatas by you know looking to buy lots of new aircraft as well as india's nascent space tech uh, startups you know which have got a lot of people excited about aerospace today i think it's uh, for me it's a great chance uh, to catch up with you and learn a little bit about your work so again from a general audience perspective if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself in your own words for a few minutes we'll go from there Yeah thanks Hari first of all thanks for making time and as you rightly said a very exciting time uh, for aviation as an industry we are getting back to the pre covid mm. um time uh, faster than even the what the industry anticipated so great time for us as far as i am concerned i'm like i've been in ge for last 23 years mm. and started with ge research uh, working for ge plastics mm. uh moved on to g gas power uh, worked there for about 8 years in heavy duty gas turbine and since then i have been leading the aviation in, uh, engineering team in india and and also uh, since 2018 leading the whole site uh, in bangalore so uh, exciting g career prior to g i spent about 9 years with drdo right uh, worked there for several labs and uh, enjoyed that as well probably research was my calling so i got attracted to uh, drdo drdo at that time if you wanted to do research even now 
it is a great place uh, great talent lot of programs lot of investment from government side and you know lot of purpose uh, around uh, making the country uh, self uh, reliant so it it was exciting for me and as a young engineer joining drdo was like uh, an opportunity for me to learn uh, in an environment which was very research oriented which i wanted and also with some of the best people at that time uh, doing research in in india for indian defense so that was great when ji came into india it was tough for me because you know i was enjoying a lot in in that environment but this was an opportunity to learn again from best in the world and also a research opportunity for an mnc which uh, i had not anticipated earlier on when i joined drdo and so i joined ge and and enjoyed tremendously these last 23 years with ge doing research engineering creating world class products working with world class people and all the training that i got uh, in drdo uh, immensely helped me in this environment because you know i mean i was <laughs> trained by the best and i continued to uh, learn and grow in ge i got a lot to say which group you worked in while at drdo uh for two labs uh, i started off with defense electronics applications lab in dehradun i worked there for several years and then uh, and then uh, i worked for uh, tbrl which is terminal ballistics research lab in chandigarh for uh-huh. for about a year mm-hmm. did you join drdo straight out of college yes okay that was my first job all right yeah and i'm thinking that the chance to move to ge would also have been something where you were considering uh, an opportunity to work with sort of the cutting edge work was i mean by the time i think you joined ge must have been in uh, aerospace for upwards of 60 70 years exactly i mean if you at that point in time if you think about uh, any industrial company for a mechanical engineer jeez was like a dream come true it still is i mean it's it's the most cutting edge that you can think of and that is what attracted me i mean i i read a lot about what ge does and it was just for a uh, an engineer for a person who wanted to do research like it was like a candy store when you can do whatever you want wanted and and that was like a big 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 attraction for me to come and join ge okay and i i guess now in a sense the company is also returning to some of those engineering roots because of the way it's being restructured and uh, i i get that you focus a lot more on the engineering i just thought that something that i'll mention and um i also want to ask you about the sort of the you know the engineering uh, environment that you spoke about down the line but again uh, and i know that we're going to focus a lot more on aerospace today again from a sort of point of view of just completion and giving our uh, general listeners a good sense of uh, what is it that you do um, you pretty much run the whole center here so just quickly walk us through some of the other divisions as well uh, in recent aerospace and then let's talk more about aerospace yeah this center is very unique it's iconic uh, center for ge it's hosted by ge global research uh, which is uh, a corporate arm of uh, research for ge doing research for all the units of ge and all the ge businesses engineering technology digital teams are co-located in the center mm-hmm. 
so we have uh, varnova which is um, our energy side of business we have teams from varnova which include gas power onshore wind uh, g digital um, lm wind all of these entities have their engineering technology teams located at, at the center uh, aerospace we all know uh, we are all we, we are getting together to discuss aerospace aerospace has a team team here and earlier this year uh, the healthcare team the healthcare business got spun off from ge but that team also has a strong presence mm-hmm. on this center so this is a unique center with about 5500 people mm-hmm. all technologists all doing research uh, at at the center so it's been exciting mm-hmm. and so within that uh, the aerospace team is about how many engineers about 1000 odd engineers yeah about 1200 engineers at of okay. aerospace okay okay so let's let's dive in um, get let's get a little bit of historical context in the sense that uh, g has been in aerospace for a very very long time uh, give us a sense of uh, uh, how long they've been in india in terms of aviation and aerospace work maybe you can give us some examples of some well known aircraft well known engines you know Um, that are relevant to India as well. Yeah, so from engineering technology perspective, G Aviation came to India in 1999. So uh, you, I told you, I'm in 23 years in G. So I mean, when uh, G came for talent, I mean, a lot of people like me like uh, got attracted to this uh, this center. So. Um, we've been here since 1999 we started off as an engineering analysis center of excellence you know the talent that we got in india was very rich in physics uh, problem solving uh, high performance computing uh, finite element analysis building big models solving tough uh, physics related problems so we started off as engineering analysis center of excellence in 1999 as a joint venture with uh, with, TAT, with tcs at that time Uh, but in very soon ji realized that uh, the talent here could could generate a lot of ip and so they didn't want to be in a model of joint venture and in 2003 very soon after that joint venture uh, started ji acquired its the whole stake and we became fully ji aviation and moved to this campus which started in 2000 mm-hmm. so in 2002 2003 we moved to this campus and since then we are we've ji aerospace has a strong technology team in this campus we started working in engineering analysis uh, supporting at that time g90 was getting towards certification that's the first engine more many of us started working in but then uh, several npis that g did like g nx uh, and then leap and several of the engines are now g 9x all those engines have a strong contribution from this team so we we gra- i mean we progressed from doing engineering analysis to owning the hardware owning the subsystems owning modules and the latest engine that jet g is developing which is g9x mm-hmm. which is a successor to the g90 engine mm-hmm. almost 60% of it is uh, has been designed from conceptual design to certification at at bangalore mm-hmm. so we have a very strong uh, contribution to that that engine as well mm. you, you mentioned npi what does the acronym stand for uh, new product introduction Okay is is that a GE term or an industry term uh, it's an industry term whenever okay. you launch a product 
it's called a new product introduction um especially in a long cycle business like ours where an npi or a new product introduction takes several years uh this were this uh, terminology we use a lot because you know that engine so we start off with technology maturation once the technology is matured we decide what product our uh, air framers want what product our industry wants uh, then we start a product we launch an npi when that product is introduced to an air framer introduced in service after that we now then we service that product to its lifetime so that's the design life cycle so npi is a very very important component of that design life cycle where you announce a product and then you develop that product uh, according to what the air framer needs and what the industry needs mm. i mean in the software world we all are generally familiar with how uh, what are called now the gccs or the global capability centers as nascom likes to call them um, are becoming increasingly integrated uh, with global operations of the uh, parent companies uh, when it comes to uh, engineering that is uh, around the very serious uh, hardware engineering but also with a lot of software components to it uh, can you give us a sense of uh, how the aerospace team here uh, sort of fits with the global operations of the company we are fully integrated i mean this is a brilliant question because you know nobody in the world can uh, design a, a technology as complicated as an aircraft engine uh, at one place i mean it's it's spread out but the way we are structured is that we are fully integrated into our teams and located at various parts of the world so cincinnati is where our majority of our team is that's our headquarter Evendale in Cincinnati and then we have teams across the world like we have a team engineering team in Poland we have an engineering team in Mexico in Turkey and in Bangalore and all these teams are fully integrated the way we have divided the work is that uh, a lot of the uh, ATO work which which say advanced technology operations so the sciences uh technology maturation before the product is actually announced all that work a lot of that is done in india then the wide body aircraft development uh wide body means i mean if you think about an aircraft some some aircrafts have one aisle the transatlantic or the ones which you take to go to different parts of the world have two aisles that's the wide body aircraft the engines for the wide body aircraft are predominantly done through bangalore our own through bangalore so i i talked about g90 we have a very strong g90 team we are building a very strong gnx team which is again uh, the engine that powers the dreamliner uh, air india owns that um, and then we have we are developing g9x which is the successor to g90 so all these wide body engines we have we sort of own the hardware of that engines and we support we continue to support through mechanical analysis i said we started off as an engineering analysis center of excellence of all the other engines as well so that's the way we work but all our engineering engineers are fully integrated worldwide there is nothing that we do which is in isolation everything is like coordinated mm. um 
to get us a sort of sense of how things have changed uh, in terms of the impact of technology, uh, everything from materials to software. Um, historically, uh, I don't know, maybe back when uh, you all started the, the LEAP program, that's almost 20 years yeah. ago, right? Yeah. So um, what was the sort of the typical engine, completely new engine development cycle? How many years did it take from concept to a commercial product? Uh, and how has that changed uh, today? Yeah. So, you know, there is a, in a, in, you realize that aircraft engine is probably the most complex mechanical engineering marvel ever designed by a human race. More, very few countries have an ability to do an aircraft engine design. It's, it's really complicated. So a general design life cycle is okay. You start with conceptual design and then you create a product and then you launch. But in aviation case, the design life cycle even starts much before that. So we spend several years maturing the technology and we call it a tech stack of technologies that we, that we invest in. Then we come to the stage of conceptual design when we decide to launch an engine, then the conceptual design starts and then it takes about, it used to take about seven to eight, nine years to get from conceptual design stage once the technology is matured to getting an engine in service. Now that design life cycle has uh, shrunk to about five years, four to five years, but it still take that, takes that much time because it is very complicated. Just to give you an example of a technology, we've announced um, open fan, you would have heard for rice, uh, right? So we started working in open fan technology in 1980s with NASA. Okay. And now we are announcing that technology that, okay, we will mature this technology and this will go into our rice platform and whatever engine we announce as part of the rice platform rises. So it, it's called revolutionary innovation in sustainable engines. That's the platform. So whatever in engine we, we design for that, or we announce for that, we are positioning open rotor technology. We've been working on it since 1980s. There is another very important technology, just to give you a sense of how much time it takes to develop the technology. So we've, you know, we are the only ones who have composite blades in our engines. There is no other uh, engine other than G engine, which has composites, fa composite fan blades. We'll show you today while we walk in our campus. Uh, GNX, and we have a GNX engine that has composite fan blades. Nobody else has that. So once when we started working on it, we started working on it much before G90 was even launched. And we introduced that in G90 in, in say, in like two decades ago. But the, the development of that started much earlier. And when we started, uh, it was like the scrap rates were like tremendously high. But then we matured that manufacturing technology and got, got down to now scrap rates which are acceptable, economically feasible, and then we are the only ones who have those composite uh, fan blades. So it takes a lot of time to mature the technology. And once the technology is mature, then we introduce it into the product. So if you think about the design life cycle from conceptual design to the engine in service, that may be seven, eight, nine years, shrinking down to four, five, six years. But the, there is a lot of time that we spend much before even the conceptual design starts 
to mature some of the technologies and do it through tech demonstrators and everything mm. uh, just as an example of some of the innovations that you're working which is one of the things that i want to capture in this conversation uh, give us sort of a layman's understanding of what is the significance of what you called open fan i mean tell us what it's about and uh, why is it significant so you know every time we launch a new engine like when we launch leap uh, it re- it it is a successor to the world's most successful narrow body engine which is cfm 56 now leap engine is like 10 to 12 degrees more fuel efficient than cfm 56 now when i am talking about open rotor as a uh, rise platform we are saying we will launch an engine which is the intent is to get 20% more fuel efficient than leap so leap is 10 to 12% more efficient than cfm 56 and rise will be 20% more efficient than than leap okay so it's a it requires it required a, a completely new way of thinking about engine architecture and one of the technologies that we that would give us like 10 to 12% improvement in propulsive efficiency is open uh, open rotor and tell you wh- why and how so if you enter the plane you look at the engine you see this uh, enclosed fan so there is a fan but then there is a cover uh, around that that fan so that's called ducted fan it has a duct uh, and when the air flows in when the fan sucks in the air it flows through that duct so imagine all the air flowing through that duct and how much uh, uh, friction and losses there would be when you f- suck the air in okay now the concept of open fan is that you remove this duct completely that's why it's called open so it's an unducted fan or it's an open fan wherein you don't have the duct which gives you so many of the friction losses and hence you get lot more pro- propulsive efficiency through this now it's easier said than done i mean why uh, it's so complicated now when we started working in 1980 it was a great concept even then but it would produce so much noise that nobody would want to use because it's extremely uncomfortable to people and extremely uncomfortable inside the cabin what we've done over the years working with nasa is reduce the noise to the levels which are equivalent to any other engine which is a ducted engine and we are now working on technology where uh, it's it's safer uh, to a liberation of the blade and it's it's safer uh, towards maintaining the integrity of the blade when when the engine flies so that's what is open fan uh, rotor just in as simplistically i mean i'm try to simplify it as much as i sure, as sure. i could yeah. <laughs> you know i was trying to learn something about this and i um, i think i stumbled upon something where since you mentioned composites and these blades they change shape and open out also and as they as the sort of they spin faster and so yeah so one is that i mean more than that what we've introduced in uh, the open fan rotor are also the pitched blades you see the wind turbines okay now wind turbines based on the direction of the wind you can pitch the blade to extract the maximum like power out of the wind energy now we are now also planning the uh, introducing pitched blades in, in the 
in the aviation fan this open fan as well that will help us so more than when it's spinning opening up i think that's controlled way of pitching the blade so that you get the maximum efficiency at different uh, points in time in the flight so that's the concept mm. so can you now uh, sort of tie all of these different efforts to what sort of the overarching uh, set of objectives i mean to my mind uh, you all are talking a lot about uh, uh, sustainable fuels uh, more efficient engines and uh, i guess in the there are already electric uh, aircraft today um, and, and i actually don't know if ge is supplying any of those engines because uh, i know they are smaller aircraft much smaller aircraft um so so and and you also mentioned how the whole design cycle etc takes years so i'm just thinking um today you must be thinking about all of these things in the future as well right 10 exactly. years 10 years down the line now 20 years, 20 years down, down the line, line. yeah so so give us a sense of you know how you you know tie all these efforts to those uh, future uh, objectives so you are right sustainability is something which we are very much committed to as aviation and we think of this as a journey not only a destination so with whenever we think of technology development we think of it like what we are doing for today because today is as important as future what we are doing tomorrow and what we are doing for future that's how we segregate this so if you think about the future uh, which is more exciting most exciting for us in today when we think of sustainability i talked about rice platform but rice platform also has several dimensions rice is capable for saf which is sustainable aviation fuel rice is capable for hydrogen we are designing rice to integrate it with the electrification uh, side so the hybrid electric part so rice is a platform which which then integrates all these technologies from how we will use i talked about rot- open rotor but you know there is a lot happening around getting the architecture of the engine core itself to become like uh, much more efficient uh, so that we not only get the propulsive efficiency we also get the thermal efficiency which is the higher level otherwise getting to 20% is very difficult so we are working on rice for future for 20% uh, fuel reduction if you burn less fuel you emit less carbon so that's one thing but we are also creating rice to be hydrogen uh, it can burn hydrogen fuel and we are also creating rice to be able to integrate it with uh, megawatt level hybrid electric solutions mm-hmm. now the aircraft that you talked about which are electric today are very small range small aircraft so these not in that uh, what we are thinking of is okay if a narrow body aircraft of today has to get electrified or has to become more sustainable have less carbon that is what will change the world because you know the smaller aircraft which are like uh, very low range the amount of carbon that they influence is negligible if you think about the carbon that is emitted with air travel in general so those that's that's what we are working on for future okay now i i said we look at it today tomorrow and future so what are we doing today we are what we are doing today we believe that the fastest way to get carbon neutrality 
or the most effective way to get carbon neutrality with the technologies of today where we don't need to change the infrastructure we don't need to change the engine we don't need to change the aircraft is safer which is sustainable aviation fuel and we have like industry has like 4000 450000 hours of flight with sustainable with uh, saf blends blended with the regular aviation fuel uh, what we are authorized to do today uh, where the standards exist is up to 50% blend of saf what ge is working on is demonstrating 100% saf in a drop drop in kind of mode what i mean by drop in is the engine is the same aircraft is the same airport is the same airport infrastructure remains the same you just get instead of the regular fuel you get 100% sustainable aviation fuel and then you demonstrate that it can fly we've done several demonstrations the latest one was with our gnx engine with one of our airline partners in india but we have done this for several engines uh, across the world and uh, demonstrated that it can be done so that we can get to carbon neutrality faster so that's we are doing today the other technology which is very exciting that we are de- deploying today we call it foam wash now you can in- you can imagine when an engine flies in any environment there is dust there is there are other kind of things that flow into that engine and as the dust goes in and deposits itself on various parts of the engine the efficiency of the engine drops so what what means by that that is that you need now more fuel to be burned now regularly the engine is also washed uh, but it is washed with water so it's water wash but what we did in our g research team we created a solution which we which is called foam wash which is even more effective than a water wash and gets us to the levels where we you don't lose your engine efficiency you regain your engine efficiency hence you burn lesser fuel and you emit lesser carbon so these are the kind of things that we are doing today so then if you think about tomorrow i mean in the new npis that we will get launched our latest engine i mean if whether you think of leap or you think of genx both of them are our latest engines both of them have a taps combustor which is one of the most efficient combustor anyone has which allows us to have engine efficiencies which are much better we've like worked a lot on durability uh, so that we can have those engines flying flying much longer and hence uh, that also contributes to the environment so between the technologies which we offer today uh, technologies like uh, saf drop in or um uh, foam wash or what we will offer tomorrow some of the ai based solutions uh, integrated with the best combustors and and the most durable engines and then taking on to future where we have like hydrogen enabled engine saf enabled engines but also hybrid electric enabled engine with a 20% fuel reduction on the on on top of what is already very high, highly fuel fuel efficient so it's a very very exciting journey it's it's like a dream for an engineer to be in this process right now 
you know because uh, the possibilities of what you could achieve and the purpose of when doing it um, is is just phenomenal mm. uh, briefly the sustainable aviation fuel blends so they are blends of fossil fuels and biofuels is it yeah. so okay. you think about sustainable aviation fuel in the, in this manner right it's it's sometimes so it's it's because it has the same calorific value it emits the same carbon but you know in creating the sustainable aviation fuel you you use the you use organic materials which are already like uh, that much carbon is already existing in the atmosphere so that's why when you use that fuel you are not increasing the amount of carbon that you emit so if you think about a tree when it dies it 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 emits a lot of carbon into the atmosphere so if you take a tree and if you convert it into a fuel that carbon is already accounted for in the atmosphere so if you use it for a fuel and when it that fuel emits carbon it does not increase the load on the environment because that carbon would anyway would have been emitted uh, in the atmosphere so that's that's the basic fundamental of again in a very simplistic manner of sustainable aviation fuel uh, we are actually leading a group we are uh, which is defining standards for um, drop in 100% sustainable aviation fuel as i said we are authorized to use only 50% blend today we have demonstrated that 100% blend can be used uh, through uh, flights but you know there are no standards today so we are leading the forum an industry forum ge is leading an industry forum where we are uh, helping to create those standards for dropping drop in sustainable aviation fuels mm. uh, can you give us a sense of uh, what kind of timelines people are looking at in the industry where uh, the fuel will be 100% sustainable and uh, do you see that it's going to be a you know flight will be a combination of uh the sustainable fuels uh, electric uh, fully electric vehicles maybe hydrogen based engines and so on so uh, what does that future look like what are people thinking of today yeah so you see a lot has to happen in the industry for sustainable aviation fuels to be available at the scale at which it will make a difference right so it's a journey uh where industry needs to start creating these fuels at the scale once the standards come we hope that it will accelerate uh that part of the process and and it will come so sustainable aviation fuels will form a very strong element of sustainability for us for uh for human kind but you know that's not the only solution like i said we are working on hydrogen enabled engines we are working on hybrid electric and all that you know a lot of this research over the next 20 years will enable us to do this efficiently because ultimately uh, we need to have a difference in carbon which is meaningful right demonstrating doing one flight or doing a very small flight or doing it for like 10% of the aircraft is not what will actually change the curve what will change the curve is that if we have a significant reduction in in carbon through either more efficiency like we are doing with rice like 20% more efficient huge difference to the environment 
और सस्टेनेबल एविएशन फ्यूल ह्यूज डिफरेंस टू द एनवायरनमेंट और हाइब्रिड इलेक्ट्रिक अगेन ह्यूज डिफरेंस टू द एनवायरनमेंट द कॉन्सेप्ट ऑफ हाइब्रिड इलेक्ट्रिक वाइज इट कॉल हाइब्रिड इट्स लाइक हाइब्रिड कार्स सो यू हैव अ इलेक्ट्रिक बट यू आल्सो हैव फॉसिल यू यूज फॉसिल यू यू मिनिमाइज द यूज ऑफ फॉसिल यू मैक्सिमाइज द यूज ऑफ इलेक्ट्रिक एट डिफरेंट पॉइंट्स ऑफ टाइम ऑफ योर जर्नी and then you create a big impact for the environment that's also will happen so in my view it's not or it's an and solution all these technologies will play some role uh, in future and you know we are not banking on one silver bullet because we believe that if we really have to make meaningful uh, contribution or meaningful change uh, towards net zero all these things in some way or the other will have to uh, will play a big role that's why we did not announce an engine we announced a platform uh, this uh, the rice platform revolutionary innovation for sustainable engines because it needs a revolutionary innovation it, it's not a one silver bullet one technology yeah that, that will be enough yeah. yeah tell us a bit more about this uh, i mean you've mentioned the rice platform a couple of times um what is the thinking behind it how did it come about i mean now it's a formal program's been there for a few years now i think 2018 yeah. yes yeah so yeah tell us a bit more about it yeah so when we were thinking about sustainability and what how we can contribute to the industry for sustainability we knew that uh, it won't happen through like one next engine i mean that would be very incremental and traditionally in the in industry what we have seen is that one one new engine replaces an old engine you get like about 10% change in efficiency now you keep getting 10% improvement in efficiency you start sort of plateauing on what you can achieve with similar architectures what you can achieve with similar technologies what you can achieve so you we we thought that okay if we announce one more engine with an incremental jump it won't be enough and all the technologies that we have demonstrated or introduced are plateauing in their like impact towards efficiency and hence uh, reduce carbon emissions so that's why when we thought we should do something which is path breaking where the architecture of the engine is completely different to give an impact which is completely different that is where we went towards the open rotor configuration and we went towards creating a platform where we would demonstrate hydrogen we went towards creating a platform that would integrate hybrid electric and we also thought that okay these are some of the things that we should not be doing alone and we should be doing with partners and the partners could be air framers so the hydrogen that we are doing the hydrogen development work we are doing it in collaboration with airbus and in next one decade we will we have planned to demonstrate uh, technology demonstrators we have planned technology demonstrators which will demonstrate the growth in the technology similarly for hybrid electric we are working with nasa and with boeing again we have a megawatt level demonstrators that we have planned one of them would be demonstrated last year but it's a series of tech technology demonstrators that we will be doing working collaborating with nasa and with boeing so what will happen through this uh, hari is is significant you know you have propulsive efficiency you have hybrid electric you have hydrogen and you have technology demonstrators for all 
now the industry will decide which ones of these technology demonstrators should get integrated into the next product that we announce mm-hmm. and that's very 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 exciting for us and you know since we have announced this several of our competitors would also get encouraged and inspired to go and do something in this which is more revolutionary and so the whole i think the the whole industry will rise and and uh, uh take on this challenge of sustainability in a much more meaningful manner so what rise has done is just phenomenal it's just told the world that okay this is what we are looking forward to do and and also demonstrated our commitment to what we we really believe uh, by attacking this from all all angles and doing it through a platform and through collaborations with uh, industry leading air framers mm-hmm. and and what's the thinking on when some of these technologies will be actually commercialized at scale yeah so that's why as i said what we are doing right now in rise is tech demonstration we call it tech demo there is a technology we want to demonstrate it on a platform on a on an air with an air framer so within this decade we will we would have technology demonstrators for all the three we will have a technology demonstrator for open fan we'll have a technology demonstrator for hybrid we'll have a technology demonstrator for hydrogen and based on those results and the growth that we see and the potential that we see how do you integrate them and which portions you integrate in what measure and that will then determine what is the product and you know in our industry the air framer the aircraft and the engine have to go in parallel i mean you can't have an aircraft without an engine or you can't have an engine without an aircraft and to get best efficiency you have to get both uh, in a manner which are supporting each other and and hence that is what we believe that these technology demonstrators will open the doors for the next commercial scale product and all these demonstrators are commercial scale demonstrations i mean in the sense they are not small so even our hybrid electric it is megawatt scale demonstration we call it epfd that we are doing with boeing and with nasa the hydrogen one is also commercial scale it's on it's it's for an aircraft uh, at at an aircraft level that we are doing it with airbus so i think these in next 5 to 10 years as these technology maturations as we demonstrate these technologies through these techmat programs we'll be ready to know what direction to take which gets gets the maximum impact for the environment and for our customers um in the backdrop of these objectives and the the work and the experience that you need to find for it um what are your top challenges you know for our in our industry with these uh, these kind of tech demonstrators i mean our top challenge always is so we will we know how to get physics we know how to uh, get the science you know getting a technology which is safe for flying okay we always focus on durability and reliability as much as we focus on the science part of it which is like a where you can prove that okay it can happen but can it happen in a reliable manner a sustainable manner i think that's something that we are focus on um as 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 we move forward so i think that's that's one thing which we always keep at the front and center as we go uh, develop these technologies 
and and you know now all these also have lot of industry elements have to fall in line if we really make it commercial level as an example if saf or sustainable aviation fuel becomes can is to be used as a drop in 100% fuel at a commercial scale for a lot of the industry the supply chain has to become mature uh, which will not be a ge play which will be a play for for some other uh, industry okay we will enable that by contributing towards standards contributing to the industry towards how it's done we may not be the main uh, players in that so that's so industry has to come come up to scale similarly for hybrid electric you know the biggest challenge is okay how can we have the electrical machines with high power density so that the weight that we put on the aircraft when we use those technologies is does not uh, hamper an economical deployment of that technology now that is something that we are working on we are solving but then there is a battery technology that needs to evolve at the same pace that the whole industry so this is a industry collaborative effort and you know that brings in a different kind of a challenge where a lot of the jigsaw puzzle pieces have to come together so many people are talking about uh, including us about hydrogen and hydrogen can be like okay you can store hydrogen in an aircraft and then burn it like a fuel but you know the density of hydrogen is much lesser than density of any other fuel so how much how much space that you uh, that you need and it's it's a lot more flammable but then there is a solution where you say okay can we use fuel cells to create hydrogen while we are flying and then use it but then is that stable i mean would would we feel would would there be a perception of safety as you as you go up in the air and have a chemical plant flying along with you and you know so many of those challenges lot of those pieces have to come together and that's why i said it's a multi year technology maturation effort which not only proves the science because that's what people get excited with okay we can do the science but you know we have to do it at industrial scale with the safety that we all need as uh, as passengers uh, we our purpose statement is we invent the future of flight we lift people up uh, people up and we bring them home home safe bring them home safe is a very critical part of our purpose and you know that's why the technology needs to get mature to a level where this will be so those are some of the challenges that lot of those jigsaw puzzles have to come together and and the whole industry has to move forward mm. uh, for this to be like deployable at commercial scale mm. Mm. so i mean historically uh, one of the pieces of this puzzle as you put it very nicely the jigsaw puzzle one important piece is this uh, at least in the indian context generally experts tell us that uh, we don't have uh, or we didn't have academic institutions focusing enough on research on translational research on so it was a lot more teaching oriented today do you see that changing and i know that ge has partnerships with several academic institutions in india uh, so i'm just thinking where you sit what do you see happening in our top engineering schools top science schools is there a lot more focus on basic research that can come into the industry and make a difference it's evolving okay and 
if you had asked me this question say 5 6 7 years ago it was very disappointing you would go to an academic institution and uh, what they wanted uh, their they were not looking for industry solutions or they were not looking for working with the industry and creating solutions which are industrial solutions as you rightly said they were more uh, towards academic solutions and i remember uh, several years ago i went to one of the iits and uh, the only question they wanted to talk was okay how much money will you give <laughs> and my thing was okay no i can give the money and but i have come here to solve problems with you so i can give you problems uh, let's find the money okay that used to be my sort of uh, need at that time or request uh, to that but there was not not many takers like mm-hmm. this is like 7 8 years ago but you know now if we go to the industry i i think some of the things some of the um, things that the government has done uh, encouraging and almost mandating uh academic institutions in india now to work with industry in order to get access to resources or to funding has completely changed the dynamic uh, in in our academic institutions for good so i'll give you a few examples we have a very strong program with iit chennai on combustion i talked about combustion is a heart yeah for any aircraft engine now this happened because Uh, we had professor satya in iit chennai who was who who also said okay i don't need money i need problems and we said oh now this is this is resonance yeah. <laughs> it's we are meeting okay so we have lots of problems so so now what we do is we work with professor satya and many of his colleagues who are like minded and say okay these are the problems we need to solve let's go ask for Uh, resources and let's go ask for funding there are several government schemes where government gives 50% industry gives 50% and and you know we have the best talent of iits at our disposal uh, and very exciting to work with them because they many of them come and join us later and working on technologies which are the cutting edge technologies i mean then initially there was this who will own the ip kind of thick situation but you know again uh, the openness of this uh, of the government now is is very different i mean we initially we had a we had to like debate and lawyers and all that kind of stuff but now it's it's a standard process you you go it's this their terms and conditions are standard you you it's 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 easy now <laughs> to get access to talent and to get access to uh, resources to do stuff which is like cutting edge yeah so it it so our experience in the recent years is completely different now another example now this is not with an educational institution this is with a government institution i mean direct government state government i would never have imagined like 5 6 7 years ago that we would have a relationship with the government uh, where uh, we we could uh, collaborate to create the best in class additive technology in in the country okay so this we've done with titco which is uh, tamil nadu government uh, uh, one of the their uh, bodies and now they have invested in uh, in near chennai in one of the additive uh, center of excellence yeah. and ji has contributed towards our art our talent our understanding our problems and they've invested with some of the infrastructure 
and it's beautiful i mean we are solving problems of additive which otherwise would would have been very difficult to solve for any industry and now we've opened it up for other industries to join so it's not a g thing anymore it's g is leading it but the other industries are benefiting from it so it's it's completely i mean it's evolving a lot dst has been a fantastic partner department of science and technology you know we went to them and we said okay you i mean our thing for them was okay you why would uh, you have many schemes but they take a lot of time so they said okay don't worry they created a scheme for us it's okay so if you give 50% we will give 50% we will have a board which will evaluate the problems that we will solve simple process there is no like lag and the best talent in the in, in the country competes for solving those problems and so we get access to the whole talent across the country through those through those initiatives so several of them i can name many more but i mean just as an example it's been just phenomenal in the last 2 to 3 years working with this because now the government is insisting on this and a very welcome change mm. i think for listeners who may not be very familiar with uh, the person that you were referring to earlier you were referring to prof satya chakraborty uh, i think and you were referring to yes. uh, his uh, multi million dollar combustion research center in iit madras yeah a lot of it was done uh, at least one of its elements was done in very clo- close collaboration with ji Oh, okay and now it has taken a shape which is like it is a national treasure now uh, a lot of industries use it but when we started it it was uh, i mean we were both experimenting and i think that experiment has been like awesome and now he's moved on to several other things which uh, yeah. we keenly watch <laughs> so it's been exciting working with him but you know you create a, you create one example of success or at least one model you take that model and then you do it with like 10 other places mm. so now we have like several new iits also like uh, competing like iit roper i would never have thought we would we have a active program with them but we have very successful program with them mm. we have several such programs spread across now india where we work our intent is to get access to the best talent our intent is that we can solve problems uh the low trl problems at lower risk uh, because you know there is an external funding element uh, added to that mm. uh it reduces our risk it it gives a challenge uh, mm. to the talent and and you know a lot more gets out, a lot more impact is created from the money that government is investing so it's it's win win for everyone mm. okay um because there's so much interest today in startups in india i was wondering of course the so called deep tech uh, i know it's part marketing phrase uh, but for lack of a better uh, terminology let i'll stick with that uh, i know that that deep tech ecosystem in india is very very nascent uh, i'm just wondering if ji uh, has spotted any really interesting startups that you're collaborating with or maybe even uh, strategically invested in and so on so for our healthcare business uh, we had a very very strong program uh, with startups we have an edison platform that we had startups work help improve and deploy for several solutions in aerospace uh, we've not used uh, startups uh, that much but we've used deep tech quite a bit our own uh, so as i said i mean we have like around 1200 
engineers and scientists at this center uh, some of, some of them also work in data science area with ai and other solutions i don't know if you've heard about our, uh, an announcement one of our uh, companies made called oc robotics those are our industrial partners yeah i saw a news article few days back yeah excellent so you know our engines fly in various environments now if an engine flies say in an environment in india and middle east as compared to an engine flying in a western european or a us canada type of an environment the dust profiles are very different mm. the temperature profiles are very different now how temperature um, makes a difference is okay the density of the air changes and hence you need a lot more air and you need for the same thrust you need a lot more work if there is too much dust you know you have to have solutions for durability which are very different and our engines fly in all these environments and we don't tell our customers okay airline no no this engine you should fly in this environment they will fly where then they can make money and where their uh, operations take them now how ai helps and how then robotics help and how the integration of that is that if we want if we our intent is to keep the time on wing we say when engine is on wing when it is flying it's the most useful okay to increase the time on wing and and our ability to tell what will actually happen based on where the engine is flying and to be able to predict is predict it is very useful for the operational stability for our airlines so if we can tell them in advance that okay for this particular engine this is the time when you should like remove it for maintenance or overhaul or whatever process is required it's very very important now for us to be able to do it one is physics we know that okay how physics will change but it's also data because we do inspection of the engine at regular intervals if we can take those images from inside the engine and we can say that okay how the distress in the engine is progressing we can very accurately predict when the engine needs to come off the wing and it is least disruptive for our uh, customers the Im- the the impact that we can create for them for that asset that asset utilization becomes very high okay and that's where ai comes in uh, because those images come the image that we have taken for the engine you take the image you see where how much the da- distress has progressed and based on that you determine okay how long the engine can go and based on that you tell okay this is when the engine needs to come off now that's the ai part the computer vision part where you look at the image you decide how much the distress has progressed now but how to get the consistent image the tool that we used today is uh, or we used to use um, is called boroscope tool it's a flexible sort of a wire you put that inside the engine it has a camera at the end of it and a light source you switch on the light the camera takes the photo and you come but it's it's a flexible thing now so what image comes what angle of image comes will always be different so it's very difficult to do a computer deploy a computer vision algorithm for that you could but then it becomes difficult and so that's where our robotics and sensing technology came in so we developed a technology 
which we called blade inspection tool that is the article i think that would have come from oc robotics that blade inspection tool was actually designed in this uh, in oh. this center okay because we were working on uh, that ai algorithm and the engineers would always say the data scientists would always say can you give me a consistent image i can do it much better much faster much more accurate but the image needs to be consistent and with the flexible tool it's almost impossible so we created this blade inspection tool which is almost a it's a robotic arm which which then gives you a very consistent image and because it is consistent you can all, also take a video and hence you can generate the whole <laughs> like 360 degree and you can do it like like on on in time like in real time and you can then take decision real time also if you needed to so all this integration is just a phenomenal thing so you're talking deep tech i mean this is where we made so much difference we've deployed now we call this analytics based maintenance we we've deployed this to a great effect for several of, all of our customers their operations are much more predictable the unscheduled engine removals are like minimized to a very small extent and we can like also create a sort of a wow factor for them that okay they can now determine they if in a deterministic manner where each we can take a decision for every individual engine not an average decision for the fleet So that's been like so. We may not have you. We have not used startups because we also like also hesitate because you know this is uh, we also want to protect what we use uh, in this industry uh, quite a bit. So we have deployed our own solutions, deep tech solutions. Might not have used startups. Mm. Fair enough. Uh, a look, superb conversation so far, sir. Um, I know there's so many different ways in which to go, and I know that uh, I'm aware that one of the things that I kind of missed asking you about is the whole idea of use of data in aerospace. I know that's several conversations in itself, uh, but this OC robotics thing was a very good example that captured some of that. Uh, any specific points that you want to highlight, or you think we should highlight in this podcast, in the small context of this conversation? I think one of the things that big makes it very relevant for us now even more than any time before is how the aviation sector is evolving in india mm-hmm. you've seen uh, some of the recent announcement you've seen the growth i think we will have three times the size of the fleet that we have today in next like decade decade and a half mm-hmm. which is like phenomenal and you see this very talented team like now a very experienced team you know 23 years of experience in india now right in the middle of that growth and that makes me like really really exciting excited about this now on top of that think about the potential with military uh, with lca getting is is being powered by a, a g engine if that ex- expands if uh, to amca and other engines i think we have a great 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 opportunity where design manufacturing all the elements of a successful industry can all be within the country while the indus- while the country is growing in this sector so this that for me that's one thing i wanted to ma- mention uh, along with like using educational institutions like 
the talent we didn't talk about we also work with uh, csir and ndrdo to to a certain extent and so it's it's just an exciting phase that we are entering in this sector and our team being a 23 year experienced team now having now contributed to almost every g new g uh, engine platform it's just an exciting time to be in and um, like really really looking forward to it as an engineer for the next decade very nice fantastic updates are on your work for me i really appreciate generously making so much time for me um, and i definitely hope to keep the conversation going so thank you and thanks for organizing this really i as you can imagine i enjoy talking on this subject and you can keep on talking <laughs> as you want well, it is really exciting for me thank you that's it for this conversation i hope you found it interesting you can find all our podcasts at forbesindia.com and on your favorite podcast app i'm hariyarkli thank you for listening